It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Podbean, Spotify, Himalaya, Stitcher, whatever you prefer. And if you don't like any of those services, you can always just ask your smart device. Play podcast Locked On Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today, you may sense a little bit less less excitement in my voice than in previous weeks because the Vikings couldn't get it done on the road. They fall to the Kansas City Chiefs 26 to 23 on a heartbreaking game winning field goal by Harrison Bucker at the last moment in a back and forth game with swings of momentum and big plays on either side of the ball and you know big high leverage moments everywhere. The Vikings were edged out and it, you know it was a close game, right? You lose by 3 and you can probably point to six or seven different moments throughout the game that probably would have changed it. And that's the nature of close games. So we'll go through all the stuff that we need to talk about here. But first, a word on extrapolation. I talk about this a lot uh, when the Vikings play poorly because I think a lot of people want to take it to the most apocalyptic place they can. You know, you lose by three on the road to a good team and they want to fire everybody, blow up the whole thing and start from scratch and lose the rest of the game so you can get a better draft pick. Like that, those are takes that I saw during the fourth quarter online. And, and I just think that that is something that I, I think our, cali- our expectations need to be recalibrated, maybe, is a nice way to put that you're being completely unreasonable. But, you know, if you want to, like, take conclusions, large sweeping conclusions out of this game, first I want you to ask yourself, what do you expect the team to do on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs when they have a backup quarterback? And the answer to that question I think is really interesting, right? And kind of the subject of all the the previewing the game discussion. For me, I didn't think they were going to win, but, you know, if I say what do you maybe expect a good team to do? on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs. I would say go to, go toe-to-toe with them and put them in a position where your team can go win or lose the game on their own merits. And I, I don't think the Vikings succeeded at that, and I don't think that they lived up to that expectation of like what a good team should do. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I, it's also, I mean, looking around the league, just put your problems in perspective here. The Jets got smoked by the Miami Dolphins. The Jags got blown out by a division rival. You know, the Bears are having to come to grips with the fact that their their second overall pick at quarterback is busting harder than any Bear I can even really think of in recent history. Losing by three points on the road to a good team isn't something that should cause you to have apocalyptic thoughts. Now, does that mean that I'm, like, making a bunch of excuses and really this loss doesn't count? No, of course it counts. The Vikings are 6-3, and three and that's a lot worse than being 7-2 and two in a really competitive division. This one's going to come back, and it's going to sting. But I'm far more interested in looking at the actual reasons why they lost this game and then looking at, okay, how do you fix those? And if the answer comes in, you know, all right, the only way to fix these problems is to completely blow everything up from the top down, then so be it. But let's look a little deeper into the game and see if that's actually the answer first. And I think where I want to start is just in like the general perception of this game as kind of being a game of inches, right? There's a lot of moments that could have like propelled the game to go one way or another, and just enough of them went Kansas City's way for, you know, the Vikings to to come up short. But I think of the first touchdown of the game, Tyreek Hill's diving, sprawling catch. It wasn't a great throw. And if it was just a little bit worse, I mean, by like two inches, then it looks like, you know, we're, we're all breathing a sigh of relief and the Vikings probably go on to win that game. The Chiefs had the ball in field goal range in the third quarter and took a really, really gnarly sack. 
and it was actually a strip sack. Harrison Smith forced a fumble there, and it bounced right back into Matt Moore's arms. If that bounces a different way, which is entirely a factor of luck, and the Vikings end up falling on it, they could actually just wrap up the game right there. Stefan Diggs was targeted on a go route that was just out of his reach. It was the same kind of diving catch, but it was two inches too far, and the Vikings don't get the touchdown there. If they get that touchdown, then this game looks a lot different. There are moments all throughout this game that, that are like that. And some that favored the Vikings as well. The the refs picked up an offensive pass interference challenge for the first time like ever. There was a kickoff fumble to begin the second half that ended up in the Vikings' arms and they went and scored a touchdown off of it. And so I think that blaming one moment for this is incorrect, but I do think that we can come up with a list of moments like that that I think are more the Vikings' fault and point toward things that can be fixed. And the, the one that I'm fixated on, the one I can't really stop thinking about is after the final possession the Vikings had on offense. They were faced with like a 4th and 13. You can't go for it. You're like on your own 20 or something. And so they punt. The Chiefs put Tyreek Hill instead of Mecole Hardman back there. Mecole Hardman had been the returner the whole time. They have Tyreek Hill back there, and that gets so deep into the Vikings' heads that they punt away from him, and they do this twice. The first one was a really nice punt. It was kind of a coffin corner kick, and that's what you want to try to do. This one, I'm actually curious to know, uh, you know, after listening to like after the the game interviews and stuff. I'm curious to know if Colquitt really was trying to coffin corner it again and just shanked it, in which case it's just an execution and you gave them a short field, or if they genuinely wanted to sacrifice that much field position just to get rid of an opportunity for Tyreek Hill to, to break one on you. And there's so many issues with that strategy because you risk giving them a short field. You essentially put your defense in a spot where they had to stop an Andy Reid offense within 10 yards and essentially cause them to go three and out or even backwards, lest you give the Chiefs a game-winning field goal attempt, which they obviously made. That's a really tall order, Matt Moore, Patrick Mahomes notwithstanding. I think that Tyreek Hill move just got in Mike Zimmer's head, and he got so concerned with trying not to lose the game on a big play that he elected to lose the game on a bunch of little plays. And I think that, coupled with a couple of fourth and one decisions earlier in the game that I really disagreed with, a lot of people, you know, said, well, field position, you, know, you don't want to take the risk of giving them a short field or whatever. Um, but typically, the argument is that offenses get that yardage back enough anyways, and keeping your possession is going to be worth more, even though you're risking, like, giving up really good field position. It's, like, worth it to go for it on those fourth and ones. And that kind of conservative decision-making basically put the Vikings in a situation where they could not afford to make any mistakes. And that's impossible to do. You are going to make some mistakes. Even if you're a good defense, you have to put your team in a position where they can mitigate those mistakes with other good plays. And, and the way that I really think about this is that these decisions took the game out of the hands of the players and instead put the game in the hands of the other team's players. And I don't think that that is good game management. I'd much rather be talking about a loss where we put the, the game in the hands of the offense on fourth and one and they didn't get it, and we're talking about execution, you know, like last week with the quarterback sneak against Washington. I, I would much be rather talk. I would much rather be talking about a situation like that where, oh, you know, someone got out executed, who's at fault here? Let's talk about the players. Than being put in a situation where the players didn't have a chance to go out and win the dang game. You put the ball on the 45, and then they only really need 10 yards to get a game-winning field goal on you, and the clock and timeout situation is such that you don't really have a say in that anymore. It's passive football, and you're putting yourself in the passenger's seat. I just guess I'd just much rather lose in the driver's seat than put myself in the passenger seat and leave it all up to fate. Now, we'll move on to some more of the details in a little bit, but first, most guys have tried a lot of different ways to last longer in bed, but doing math in your head or, or thinking about Kirk Cousins' stats doesn't always work as well as you wish it did. 
doesn't always work as well as you wish it did. The folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman swipes. They are the secret to longer lasting sex. They're a clinically proven way to last longer in bed. They're effective, easy to use, and fast acting, but they don't require a prescription. You can just order them online. They will be shipped right to you in a discreet, unmarked package, and they're small enough you can keep them in your wallet so that they're handy whenever you need them. They're super easy to use. Just take swipes out of the packet, swipe it on, let it dry, and you are good to go. That's it. No more worrying. Get $10 off of your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL for $10 off and free two-day shipping. GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, back to the Chiefs games. So the the one thing I want to talk about before we go like more specifically into player stuffs is the officiating, which has had a lot of issues. I, I don't really prioritize this as a talking point very often, so there's been some other officiating stuff that I haven't really addressed on this, but the offensive pass interference narrative has kind of gotten a new chapter, so let's talk about it. And, and the OPI debacle that I really am like bothered by was the... Uh, Mike Zimmer challenge that wasn't overturned because I think Zimmer had every right to challenge that, especially considering what happened to the team in week two. If you remember that Dalvin Cook uh, offensive pass interference penalty that ended up taking a touchdown off of the board on a pretty big conversion that the Chiefs made, there was a very similar act and Mike Zimmer caught it, called it out and tried to challenge it, but they didn't overturn it. And I think that at this point, there is something more political going on than actually like attempting to get the call right. I am generally in favor of taking measures to try to get more calls correct on the field. I I don't think that they've gone about it, obviously, or rolled this out in a very good way, but I I agree with the general, like, logic of let's get more calls right. But they're not interested in getting more calls right. They really are are just interested in the symbolism of having it technically be possible, but it isn't. And not overturning that is a a really big and frustrating mistake, in my opinion, especially because, I mean, if you're going to just not overturn anything, then fine, but give us the week two one back. But that's not what happened, and the inconsistency there is what makes it very, very frustrating. It seems very random, or if you're into that, you can start to you know speculate about bias or home team bias or, or whatever. They did actually overturn an offensive pass interference call that I thought was actually more ambiguous than the one they didn't overturn. Um, both were cl- very clearly the wrong call on the field, though. 
This was the Laquan Treadwell one who got jammed pretty hard at the line of scrimmage. They called OPI on him for some reason, uh, and he ended up, it was a blown coverage. He ended up wide open for a conversion. They called in a booth review. I believe it happened in the final two minutes and ended up overturning the call, which I guess is a little refreshing to see that it's possible, but the rules rollout has been just like so disastrous. And they stopped play for like another booth review offensive pass interference thing in the uh, end of, of the half and ended up not overturning it. So I, I think that right now the way that they call pass interference has been completely broken by the fact that review is available, but like not available. Uh, and, and I think that it's something that really needs to get fixed sooner than later. I don't think that the league should wait till the off season to like reconsider any of this. There was a really good Jeff Schwartz tweet during the game. He, the former Vikings offensive lineman, actually, uh, and he was talking about actually an illegal, uh, ineligible man downfield penalty that happened on a tight end screen to Irv Smith. The screen took a little bit too long to develop, and so the lineman got too far downfield. That's actually like a timing issue that is a fairly common penalty on screens. Um, but Jeff Schwartz said that I mean, like they usually give you a lot more leeway than that. You're only supposed to go like one yard downfield, but they kind of give you the benefit of the doubt in the interest of, you know, keeping the game flowing. And it seems like right now, officials are just kind of looking for a reason to get involved. It looks like they're trying to find flags rather than reacting to the actual flow of the game. And, and first and foremost, I think a referee's job is to manage the flow of the game. And when they do a bad job of that, I get really frustrated. But enough hamstringing about the refs. Let's talk a little bit about the offense here. And I want to start with Kirk Cousins, who was really inaccurate in this game. And it's really unfortunate because I don't think his decision making was particularly bad. It's obviously, I mean, there were some reporters who were at the game who, who bemoaned a couple of plays that ended up being checkdowns where Stefan Diggs was wide open. I'll have to go look at that. I mean, I was only watching on TV, so I can't speak to that, but maybe that'll, you know, come up when, when the tape comes out. But just the inaccuracies were astounding, and it's really frustrating too because then he would throw these darts to the end zone for touchdowns. He got a three-touchdown day that was did not feel like a three-touchdown day because he missed a whole bunch of swing passes. Those should be automatic. Those are the kinds of things you throw in warm-ups like because they're so easy they can get your arm going. And he missed, I swear, like five or six of them. He threw them high. He threw them too far out. He threw them behind guys. I mean, he was missing easy, easy throws, and that is not something that usually is a problem for him, and it's really frustrating because when he can, you know, shirk the problems that are usual problems for him, you know, lack of downfield vision, although again, remains to be seen if he actually uh, did make those mistakes or not. But I mean, you know, crumbling under pressure and taking dumb sacks and the fumble stuff and a lot of the like classic Kirk Cousins problems that we're used to didn't show up. And to have one that we aren't used to show up is, is really, really frustrating. Like, it just seems like it's so much harder for him to put together that complete game. And coming off of a streak where you put together, like, four of those complete games in a row, it's really frustrating. I do want to talk a little bit about the play calling, too, because I think the coaches are under a lot of fire right now. And that's, I think, fair considering the conservative decision-making that I talked about earlier. But from an actual, like, ebb and flow of the game standpoint, and I'm really speaking to, like, Kevin Stefanski and, I guess, Kubiak or whatever that machine is, I really like the game that they put together. They really adjusted well to the way that, that the Chiefs were attacking the run game. They were telling everybody to be very aggressive, try to penetrate, and when they switched to screens, it just gashed the Chiefs. And unfortunately, that's not quite enough to get over some of the offensive line struggles that were happening, and the line was horrible. I mean, they just got demolished. Pat Elfline is, is a horrible liability in this game. But I thought that 
in terms of the actual plays that were selected, like the high level decision making, I think is the problem we have here. And I think that's more on Zimmer than it is Stefanski. The actual design of the plays and the plays that were selected, I thought were very, very smart. And I think that Stefanski has shown again that he really understands the ebb and flow of a game and how to counter certain things that defensive coordinators do to try to stop this offense. But let's talk a little bit more about the offensive line, because I think there's been this this call throughout the whole season to bench Pat Elfline. And unfortunately, I don't think Dakota Dozier or Brett Jones are good enough to start. And I don't think that you fix the problem by benching Pat Elfline. I think you make it worse. Um, so I think you just kind of have to deal with him throughout this this season. And I've said that before. But I think this game really seals that I don't think that you can go into next season with Pat Elfline as like a, a penciled in starter. Right. You have to draft or acquire somebody to compete with him, if not outright replace him, because he got dusted over and over and over. Again, this is all based off of my, like, live watch of the broadcast tape, and sometimes I will be wrong about these things, so I could come back tomorrow and correct it, and I'll do so if I end up being wrong here. But it seemed like Chris Jones got the better of him, especially in those last two... Uh, offensive drives, those two, three and outs, which really I think is where the offense lost this game. I don't think the defense was put in a fair position. And I think that they did admirably considering those circumstances, which I'll get into in a second. But I think the offense had plenty of opportunities to put this away, especially in that fourth quarter. I mean, after that fourth quarter touchdown, they touched the ball twice. They ran six plays and the Chiefs basically were given the opportunity to put this game away. And if you give Andy Reid the opportunity to produce and put the game away, he's going to do it no matter how good your defense is. And those three and outs, I think, are going to get, rightfully, a lot of scrutiny here. Uh, They certainly will on this podcast, because I think a lot of them were ruined by bad offensive line play. And this is why, like, I mean, Kirk Cousins was inaccurate and had his problems, but I'm not putting him very high on the list of, like, people to blame here. I think that high-level decision-making is to blame, and I think that the offensive line ruined too many plays. I do think that from a play-calling perspective, they probably should have put the rollouts away a little bit sooner in this game. It was very clear that the Chiefs had game-planned to take them away, to take away those flood concepts and uh, they probably just should have put that play on a plane to Dallas and, and resolved to pick it up again next week. But that's a light criticism in the face of what I think was pretty good play selection and design, but not very good decision making and ultimately not very good execution. Of course, missing Adam Thielen, you could tell the Vikings were having a lot of trouble separating. There were a lot of contested catches on both sides of the ball, which kind of feeds more into that like game of inches thing. And having Adam Thielen would obviously have like helped that because otherwise you're working with Diggs and and kind of the B team of skill players, right? Treadwell and BC Johnson. uh, I mean, they were double covering Diggs all day. Even still, he did get a couple of opportunities. He might have been more open than I thought, according to some of the beat reporters and people that were at the game that noticed it. Again, I can't speak firsthand to that. But, I mean, the B team did okay. Treadwell had a nice day. BC had a nice day. Kyle Rudolph had a nice day. Of course, he's had such a quiet season. Ultimately, I think that the Vikings offense as a whole executed okay, but just barely not good enough. And the unfortunate thing in the NFL is just barely not good enough is the same as getting beat 52-7. to It's all a loss, and it all counts the same come time to figure out who wins the division. So let's talk a little bit about the defense here, because I do kind of want to stick up for the defense. I think that they played admirably considering the circumstances that they were put in. And the circumstances that I'm talking about are this. A, the Chiefs have a ton of really good weapons. B, Matt Moore played pretty well and and threw accurately and stuff. I don't think that the drop-off between Mahomes and Moore was as big as people would have made it out to be. Of course, you know, Patrick Mahomes is pretty irreplaceable, but Matt Moore played well. I think that that level of quality would probably be an improvement on like a dozen teams in the NFL. Like he played like an NFL quarterback, you guys. And given NFL quarterback weapons like Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and you're going to get some production. You just can only really hope to contain what the Chiefs do, especially with an offensive mastermind like Andy Reid, who is used to getting, you know, crazy 
explosive plays. I mean, they generate a ton of explosive plays, and the Vikings gave up two. The one to touchdown to Tyreek Hill, sorry, three, two, two passes to Tyreek Hill. Uh, both of them were with him in man coverage against Trey Waynes. Trey Waynes got his butt kicked by Tyreek Hill, but what Tyreek Hill does is that. I mean, he beats corners, and especially when he's on people's second corners, which the Vikings haven't had Xavier Rhodes shadow as much because of the struggles that he had been having lately, so the Vikings just played sides, and it means that the Chiefs can choose which side they put uh, Tyreek Hill on, and that means that they can choose which cornerback they put Tyreek Hill on. They chose Trey Waynes, and they got a couple of catches. I don't know if there's a better solution because, honestly, Tyreek Hill is going to kind of do that to everybody. Uh, I mean, his speed change is absolutely insane. His, his skill set, I mean, he's like the best contested catch receiver in football. I mean, it's hard to stop that guy. The double move that led him wide open and then he broke a bunch of tackles deep down the field was definitely a bad look on Trey Waynes. I think that one was more of a mistake by Waynes than, ah, oh, you got beat by a good player. But the touchdown to, to Tyreek Hill, I think it's a speed change thing that is pretty impossible to guard against. And then, of course, the big, long Damian Williams touchdown, which was just an unfortunate congruence of three different players making uh, horrendous mistakes on the play. I thought Daniel Hunter exited his gap. He overpursued, so he left the cutback lane. That's uh, something that Daniel Hunter used to be kind of struggle with, and I, I think an old habit maybe reared its ugly head there. Uh, but it still put him in, you know, a one-on-two situation with the two safeties, and both the safeties ran themselves out of position and made it for a doable cutback for Damian Williams, who could then house the thing for 91 more yards. So that, I think, was, you know, if any one of those guys doesn't make that mistake on that play, then it's just a big play instead of an explosive one. But that's typically what you see on explosive breakaway runs is that multiple people have to screw up to make it happen. And multiple people screwing up doesn't happen that often. Therefore, you don't see plays like that that often. That's kind of why they're notable. But I think that that kind of is a misrepresentation of how the defense played as a whole, because otherwise they were again very stout in the red zone. They turned touchdown opportunities into field goal opportunities, and that's incredibly valuable, and over the long run is going to lead to a lot of wins. They were pretty good at the catch point. I mean, again, Tyreek Hill is an incredible contested catch receiver. So is Travis Kelsey. Anthony Harris was right on him a couple of times, and they're trying to get the ball knocked out. Harrison Smith got a great pass breakup. Wayne's got a good pass breakup. I think Hughes got one or two. There were a lot of very good pass breakup moments in contested catch situations against a very good contested catch team. What this game felt like to me was a good offense versus a good defense. And that usually means that you're going to kind of win some and lose some. I think this game on defense was lost more by the quality of opportunities that the Chiefs were given by bad coaching decisions that I mentioned earlier, rather than actual execution on defense. There were some mistakes and things that definitely need to be pointed out, like the Damian Williams touchdown and a couple of those Tyreek Hill plays and stuff, but ultimately, I am not very upset with the way that the defense played in this one. One... Uh, astounding positive is the blitz packages confused the crap out of the Chiefs. They got so much pressure, including the forced fumble sack that uh, Matt Moore ended up recovering, I believe, was uh, one of those fear Anthony Barr sacks. If you were with me in the offseason when we were talking about the Anthony Barr signing and like his whole thing with the Jets, and I was talking about like, okay, this is how Anthony Barr works, this is what you saw. And I'll definitely, I'm definitely going to go back and take another look at it and, and, talk about it a little bit online, but essentially Anthony Barr lines up on uh, like over the right tackle looking like he's going to blitz. Matt Moore looks at him, changes the protection, and then Anthony Barr actually backs off and takes the leaking tight end instead. The protection has slid over Anthony Barr's way, and that means that there was one fewer offensive lineman 
that was supposed to go over and help with the Anthony Barr side that isn't helping on the other side, where now there were three rushers and only two linemen and it was an overload and it turned into a sack. That kind of thing was actually really persistent throughout the day, and it ruined a bunch of plays then. I wonder if, you know, the speed of guys like Hardman and Hill was kept in check a little bit by those blitz packages and just by being smarter than the other team during the chess match of pre-snap reading. So this is why I definitely disagree with the idea that, you know, Zimmer got outcoached. I think Zimmer made coaching mistakes, but I don't think he got outcoached. I actually think that the things that he usually did work the way that they usually work. And if he had made a couple of better decisions in terms of game situation, then I think that the Vikings have a great chance to win this. Again, put the game in the hands of your players, not in the hands of the other team's players. So last thing I want to talk about is the game-winning kick. Chiefs get a great field goal opportunity, three seconds left. It was pretty automatic. They were close enough in Harrison Butker. I mean, there's actually a hilarious uh, trend that you can track in the best kicker in the league. This is something that uh, Krauser, at Krauserific on Twitter, has been tracking. The best kicker in the league is whoever's playing the Vikings. Nobody ever misses field goals against the Vikings. Even if they're horrible kickers coming into that game, they are amazing, specifically when they play the Vikings. And I think in this one, uh, you definitely saw some of that luck come into play because Daniel Hunter came in to the locker room after the game and said, I got a hand on it. And Harrison Bucker said, yeah, somebody over there got a hand on it. So somebody tipped it. And, you know, again, if you have a, a half an inch more of that football, it's blocked and we're going to overtime. But as it stands, the Vikings are always going to be cursed with kicker luck. And Dan Bailey missed an extra point, too. So I don't know. Blow it all up, tear it down. And uh, I don't know. Let's just resolve to not try and win until like 2023 or something. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. A disappointing, a frustrating win, a close loss. Uh, That is the name of the game sometimes and now you got to regroup and move on to Dallas we'll be back tomorrow we'll talk in more depth about some of the things that I kind of deferred to tomorrow so things like digs we'll double check on my offensive line takes and other such but in the meantime you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL you can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings this show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or simply ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings I will see you all tomorrow and as always skull hey Locked on Minnesota listeners This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.